0: Hey everyone, this is George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School for the No Film School podcast. I have a couple of special guests today, um, one of whom is a screenwriter who has written a number of extremely successful, popular films. You've certainly seen them, as well as some extremely successful, popular television shows that you've seen. We don't typically have... A writer with this kind of resume or a filmmaker with this kind of resume on the podcast because we focus a lot on things like indie film, uh, DIY, and it was kind of nice to get the perspective and the experience, especially now during quarantine and all the things that are happening in the world, uh, to get the perspective from somebody who has this level of knowledge and experience um, working at the really working at the highest level in the industry. Um, and the other guest is a filmmaker who has worked a lot with the writer, has done a lot more indie stuff, which is a little more close to what No Film School typically does. Um, the guests are Chris McKenna and Bob Byington. And Chris and Bob go way back. They started out together or they their paths crossed early on. And we talk about that in the interview. But what I'm excited about in this and what I'm excited for you to find is sort of the variance of their experience, how they've stayed connected and how they work with one another still. So, yeah, it's always fun to bring in some new perspectives uh, from different parts of the industry to the podcast. And, um, you know, Chris has executed successfully at a level with such a high degree of difficulty and yet Bob is on the other end fighting for opportunities to execute something that's also extremely high level, of high degree of difficulty, but on the indie scale. And I just think the contrast is fascinating and uh, it's fun to combine it. So here we go. Thank you guys both for being here. We've been talking about doing this since you know, what feels like 100 years ago before there was a pandemic uh, before there was a uh, insane amount of rioting and civil unrest and, you know, protests and it was a different world, not three months ago. Um, Yes. But here we are. We made it happen. And I think, you know, what I wanted to start with was I know that the project you guys were working on that we put up on No Film School um, not so long ago, has shifted, things have changed. You guys have rolled with the punches and there's new stuff going on. Um, and I want to hear about, you know, what happened to the show but and the plans there, but also if you guys can tell me about the new project that you are working on together.
1: Well, I could I could quickly say that, you know, when the pandemic hit, the, the show seemed dumb to me and I wrote a script that had kind of a tonal shift that was meant to account for the changes going on. And so we kind of got this other project up and running. Unfortunately, the, the world just changed again. So I guess I have to write another script. I don't think that's going to happen. But um, and Chris has been helping out with that. Um, but mostly, Chris, you're I think also doing your your day job into the pandemic.
2: Yeah, um, I am. Uh, <clears throat> I'm writing a a movie right now for Sony and Marvel. It's the next live action Spider Man movie. Um, I you have to you have to uh, be specific about wh- which which Spider-Man movie I'm talking. Do you about.
0: have to Google that to figure out who Spider-Man is? <laughs> but there are there are a lot of Spider-Mans. There's a lot of Spider-Man. Um, yeah, because which, there's also yeah.
2: there's also the Sony Universe. You know, like the you know the Venom uh, and of it all, and and so yeah, keeping it's it's uh, they're they're definitely ringing as much as they can out of this uh, beloved character.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, he's uh, th- that's part of the deal, though, right? There has to be a Spider-Man movie every ten minutes to retain rights to Spider-Man. Yeah, <laughs> I think, something I that, think right?
2: it's something like that. Yeah.
0: Um, but but it makes sense why Spider-Man is uh, beloved by all. And uh, but so, what's the nature of your guys? How did you guys first start working together?
2: Uh, God, we met such a long time ago through a mutual friend, um, and. Uh, I, at the time, was a copywriter. I think the first thing we actually collaborated on was a uh, commercial for Guster. Is that right, Bob?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we did uh, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog also.
2: Uh, Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I was a a copywriter.
0: Great work work on that, guys. That was great. I didn't know you guys did that
1: just say I created uh, triumph the insult comic dog and um, <laughs> that's
0: that's the only thing that you guys have done of note <laughs> I'm kidding I'm kidding <laughs> Chris was at
1: uh, Warner Brothers Records uh, is that correct yeah I was a,
2: um, I was a freelance copywriter and uh, and you just, you know, most of, you know, you would sit and you'd come up with a bunch of copy for stuff and then it would always get boiled down to in stores now or,
0: you know, dropping
2: Madonna, dropping November 11th or whatever. And, um,
0: real Don Draper type stuff. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you can, but, uh, the, the guy who took over, uh, Jeff Aeroff uh, was liking some of the weirder stuff I would come up with. And, um, he and Lori Burke, um, who was also running advertising there, like, they, you know, for Guster, they're wanting to do a, a spot and uh, they basically, like, they rarely did this kind of thing anymore, um, but they gave us a little bit of money and and I wrote a spot and they, like, and, and then got Bob to, uh, you know, direct it and produce it. And... Uh, so it's this little thing you can see on YouTube. Uh, it's for uh, Keep It Together, I think. Uh, and I thought Bob did a really great job, has a, has a really Thank you. Has a unique look and has funny performances from uh, the child actors and the and the teacher. And it was just a really like, oh, a 30 second spot that got when you still could get, I didn't even know you could at the time. This was probably back in what year, Bob? Like
1: 2003, yeah. I think.
2: Yeah, sounds right. And they ran it, like, uh, I don't know, I don't know where they ran it, they ran it somewhere on TV. Uh,
1: (laughs) That
0: was back, TV was completely different by then, uh, back then, by the way, for the younger people
1: listening. Yeah. Um,
0: There was only one channel, just kidding. But I mean, compared to now, it really was like, when there was only one channel, you know, it was like, just a whole different world. And then
1: Chris jumped to TV shortly thereafter. And Chris, I don't know where you went or what you did, but. Uh, I
2: got hired Well, I was a copywriter there. And after we made that uh, commercial, I got hired with my baby brother, Matt, um, on our basically our first TV gig. Um, he was right out of college, a uh, year or two out of college. And I was a decade older and I finally got a TV job on um, a, Fox animated show uh, called American dad, Seth MacFarlane show. Um, And, uh, and that was the beginning of my TV career. So wrote on that uh, for five seasons uh, until the writer's strike. 2007. Uh, I think that was, yeah, I think that was 2007 or 2008. I can't remember.
0: And then community. Yeah. For you, Chris. Yeah. And so, and, and Bob, you and Chris, what, I I mean, and you guys have, so your guys' collaboration goes back to the beginning really for both of you. Um, Well, yeah.
1: And then I made a fake doc in 2008 called registered sex offender and asked Chris to help me with it. And so we did some test screenings out in LA that he kind of helped me with. And he had all these cool writer friends who helped like make the movie better. And then that movie premiered at South by in 2008. And, uh, still apparently has a nice cult following.
0: Nice. yeah. South by is huge. I mean, that's a big, you know, and then so, and you've done a bunch of features since, and you guys have kind of weaved, woven, is that the way to, what I should say, back and forth into each other's careers a couple of times. Can you tell me like how you guys are, you know, you're a writer, Bob, you're a writer and a director and a producer, Chris, you're a writer. You guys collaborate on the writing, well, and I'm they afraid it's direct, a, how it's a, it's
1: it's kind of a one-way street. Chris has never asked me for any writing uh, advice <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. and I don't think he ever will. And, um, um whereas I kind uh, uh, of re- reach out to him when I need help. I, I trust his <laughs> judgment, uh, but it's a one-way street, unfortunately.
2: Well, to be fair, I'm, you know, I, so I, I you know, I I worked in TV for a long time. You were working with a bunch of other writers, writers' rooms, uh creators, and you know, from I did American Dad, and then I went to community, hopped over to the Mindy project, um, and then back to community to help Harmon uh run it for a couple seasons. And it's it's kind of hard at that point. Hey Bob, uh can you read this draft that like that we're doing about to do a punch up room on. Uh, it's just, it's just, <laughs> I was just in a different situation where I wasn't, I wasn't really writing anything original at that point. Um, and of
0: course the writing for it. And this is, you know, informative. Look at no film school. If you guys aren't both familiar ish, you know, we're it's educational for people at all levels, but people doing all things and curious about different aspects of the industry and yeah, writing, writing and show running in television is so completely different than, like, prepping a feature script or an original feature script. I agree, not say you, you couldn't say to Bob, like, you're saying, hey, we got episode, you know, 201-15, like, I need, <laughs> I need, like, you got a whole staff, you got a whole schedule, you got a whole life of the world. I know, but you right. could,
1: you could ask, I mean, you don't have to, like, <laughs> you don't have to do anything I'd say, but you could still just pretend. Um, you,
2: know, sort of, you know, certain elements, you know, of your life, I'm sure, probably made their way into the, a Chang storyline or a thank Dean, you. Dean Pelton storyline, I'm sure.
1: Thank you. And Kevin Corrigan, we shared. Uh, <laughs> Kevin. Yeah, that was great. Uh, one of my favorite actors made his way into the community world in a kind of blend uh, blending of worlds.
2: Yeah, he was in one of my favorite episodes uh, I had. Uh, I got to write the the draft of. Um and uh it was called uh, conspiracy theory conspiracy theories and interior design. And it was this uh it was all sort of a send-up of uh conspiracy movies, and it was the introduction of Troy and uh blanket for it. Um and uh that was really funny. We getting Corrigan, he brought he, he you know, it was it was so great to have him. He was so perfect as Professor Professorson. Um <laughs> <laughs> this, this sort of this mysterious uh, character who then he, you know, then he, he, he started a few more episodes of the show he beca- because, you know, he becomes the acting, the acting teacher of the school. Um, and so, yeah, he, he really, it was a, he was a great, uh, great actor to sort of become part of that community universe. And yeah, he was, my, my connection to him was uh, through Bob.
0: Dan Harmon is known for his names of characters. As I think you probably know, Chris, Dean Pelton is actually a pretty good friend of mine. I've known Dan for a long time, and Dean is a real guy. And he's out oh, that's there. Right. That's
2: <laughs> just right. Just like a oh, lot yeah, of yeah, the yeah.
0: people. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the characters on the shows are just real people. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's that, so um, funny that he knows a friend yeah. named Dean Pelton and he named yeah, that, the Dean Dean Pelton. It's denied. Yeah, he yeah like, I when you found a, that out, it's hilarious. He's
0: like, I need a Dean for this show. Dean. Oh, I know a guy named Dean Pelton. <laughs> Amazing. But yes, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I think that talking about the difference between what it is to write television and a movie kind of segues to how you're, you know, you had a show you guys were working on, like we talked about, and then you shifted gears into doing a feature, Bob. And Chris, are you serving as sort of like an advisor and an EP on that?
2: Well... Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know what my official role is at this point, but I, you know, I'm always there to help Bob when he, when he, you know, he asked for me to read something or, you know, see if I can get it to someone since I'm, you know, I'm, I hobnob with all the stars.
1: Should um, we, should we screen grab your texts while you were reading this last script? The the text you were sending me? <laughs> it could be a companion piece to the, uh, I was in a,
2: I was in a cranky mood. There there's a some little great, cranky.
0: Well, now I, it now. now I got to know. Now I got to know. I don't know what the script was. I got to know where it came from. No, just uh, kidding. You don't. You don't have to reveal all. Um, do you? Read one on that's trip, really funny.
2: <laughs> well, then yes. Yeah, say what it is, Bob, if you want. But I then I'll explain the context that it was the world was on fire and I hadn't slept in days and uh, and so. Um, anyway, that was the context for my cranky. Cause it was also like, I'm going to read all this way through, but you do these really annoying things on like the first three pages and it makes me want to throw the script across the room. Kind of.
0: <laughs> Such as? Let's hear. I
1: really, I really love this and don't mean to be a dick, but there are a couple typos in the first few pages. Can we fix them quickly? That was the nice text. <laughs> um, but the funniest one is definitely, um, no, he says, uh, I'm trying to, I'm honestly trying to plow through all the dippy typos, or maybe you think they're stylish, stylistic choices, but god damn it, aren't we professionals? And it's taken me 15 minutes to get through the first three pages. Like it so far. <laughs> <laughs> it was true. Yeah, I was yeah. cranky.
0: Typos, man. Like, I mean, I got yeah, I have a problem with typos. Let me, there tell aren't you. any
1: typos in the script. It's like Chris goes ballistic if you don't put a, period after ext on page seven and you've got to like hear about it so um
2: i think if you don't have consistent uh punctuation in your slug lines that's considered a typo
1: i don't think i could be accused of bad like like i'm not that guy i mean i'm just not that guy Um, you're not which guy that's a critical note. i'm not that the typos guy i'm not the typos laden guy i'm just not But
2: I'll tell you, we all hate reading people's scripts. I mean, let's be honest. Like we all direct like, oh, fuck. So anything that makes it, anything that makes it feel like, oh, well, why am I seeing this and you're not seeing this thing? And because I know I'm going to have to read this and like give notes to you. Um, Yeah, it comes from that that sense that, it's a great you
0: know, it's a great note actually that people should be aware that anyone reading it wants the best possible looking version because it's hard to read scripts thanks so I, being, I, yeah. I, I will say <laughs> not, I will i'm say, not giving the note to you bob i'm giving the note to the listeners oh, okay.
2: it's, it's, no it's it's an inversion of that it's every person reading a script is looking for any reason not to finish the script uh, there, yes. like, and a typo can be enough for some people. Going, well, this is unprofessional. You don't even, you know, it's not like it's not like you know, Bob put it in like uh, some crazy font or something, which is like instant, <laughs> an instant no, an instant no. I don't need to read. Oh, you, you're going to be whimsical and
1: put it in uh, I don't know, Helvetica or something.
0: Comic comic sans
1: well the the happy yeah and the happy ending is chris liked it enough to get it to one of his hot shot movie star friends and things are you know on track so
0: oh well Um, there we go so typos be damned it's in the hands of a hot shot movie star now and he he did make it more
1: readable by complaining about it so
0: yeah um chris does any of that come from television where you're getting scripts fast? Or does that just come from, like you said, the reading a script is like already, like you're subconsciously looking for reasons to stop.
2: Well, I mean, God knows, I mean, I I cringe at like, I didn't know, I didn't I didn't go to school for uh, screenwriting. And I, you know, I mean, I was just, just thought I was smart enough to just do it on my own. And I got a hold of a couple scripts, but I mean, I look at the, like what, what I, like the first screenplay I wrote and it was like a novel, it was just like, just so much description constantly. It's all those, you know, first first screenplay mistakes just that you you make, and then you then also learn. Just you get a hold of scripts that of movies that you like, and you see like sometimes yeah, sometimes there's a lot of description. You read like like Lawrence Kasdan's, uh, you know, like original drafts of of um, of Indiana Jones, and there's tons of description, but it's really compelling. Um, but then you read other writers who just are able to be so much more efficient, because I think, like, because it's so hard, like, you don't want to read stuff, you want to turn a page and not have it just be blocks of giant blocks of text, like you're reading a novel. And so you learn to be a little bit more efficient and make it like, there's more white on the page <laughs> and black so that it seems, oh, I can get through this page and it's gonna, it's, I can keep moving along. so like, not you turn a page and go, oh, man, like, thank you, Dostoevsky. where's the dialogue you just want to get to the dialogue you know
0: I feel like I had been taught for a long time that you're not supposed to editorialize so to speak in your screenplay like describe it like just show us show us the action etc etc and then I started reading the scripts by great screenwriters of like the movies I love and I would see all of that and I would think oh my god they're doing it you're not supposed to do it and so I think it's kind of like there is no rule there right but it's like would you say it's whatever makes it the best read possible. Yes,
2: I would say ultimately whatever makes it the best read possible. If 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 tons of description, I mean, if you are uh, an entertaining enough writer like a, a, a William Goldman or a Lawrence Kasdan, then you I feel like oh then you you're you're in and you 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 will read more description, but. I feel like you know, for me, I just don't want to overwhelm the reader. You want it to make a joyful read, um, and sometimes you don't want to skip over key description. But um, it, I, when you start turning it too novelistic, I feel like it could be easy just to lose your reader, and that's always my fear. It's like, oh man, and it's always then you, you, know, you're reading, you're reading just for like pace, or like, oh, and then you, you know, and I think just now working on so many TV shows and 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 features and stuff. And seeing how stuff plays at table reads, and you just become less precious about stuff, and you don't become you become you know you you do kill your darlings at times because you're weighing pacing and you're weighing other things, and you're like I got to get out of the scene. We've been in the scene forever.
0: Let me. I'm curious about this. And Bob, since you're on the indie filmmaking side a little bit, you can speak to it as well. When you're because you may have a different perspective. Um, When you're writing, say, a sequel to a Spider-Man movie. Are you still thinking about keeping people on the page and turning the pages in the same way you are when you're working on an indie that you're hoping to hand to a certain actor to get them? You know, these are obviously like you're dealing with studios, you're dealing with a massive, like one of the biggest brands in the world, like no pressure. Right. Um, but you're already in, so to speak.
1: Yeah. Um, does the, do
0: the concerns still just boil down to like, am I?
1: Yeah. Some of the scripts we've sent out recently we I know I've imagined the actors reading them first and foremost, but i don't I don't think Chris deals with that in the same way. Maybe he does,
0: yeah. I mean, i guess I guess what I'm saying, Chris, is do you find that you're still looking at it in terms of you know what are the what are the pressures of writing that versus are they the same? Are they the same as they were when you were just writing? You know your script. You're trying to get out the door. That you're just trying to get someone to read.
2: And I mean, obviously, the upside here is I am uh, I'm I'm, a, I'm hired. You know, to write something, and I I'm you know it's it's got a production date, and it's just now we got to move move the ball down the field, and we everyone's got to be on basically the same page. But You know. Um, Obviously, though, then the other pressure is then you get fired if you don't deliver. Um, And how do you deliver in a way that, you know, I'm working with Marvel. I'm working with Sony. I'm working with Amy Pascal. I'm working with the director and um, various other executives. And so there is this, you you know, and there's, there's going to be stuff that that. Some people love that. Some people hate, and you know. And sometimes I can tell who's going to hate what and who will love this, <laughs> and um, and then they clash, and it'll be like because you know if uh, oh if this person really loves it, I bet this person's really going to hate it. And ulti- <laughs> ultimately, though, you just have to write what you think is oh, okay. Well, I think this is entertaining, and my writing partner thinks this is this is entertaining, and uh, we got to just now get it in and have them. React when you're making a big thing like this, and you have a lot of people to, to please. Yeah. Um, it's funny because sometimes there can be a little bit of like not inertia, but you're like, should we do it like this, or do, what are you guys saying? Because you're saying that, you're saying that, and then you won't really get a straight answer because everyone's busy doing a bunch of other things. And then like our job, we started you know being called the reaction makers. Like we just need to take a stab at it and have people react to what this new idea is in the script. And then you give them the pages, and sometimes it's like, "Ah, oh, that's terrible!" And, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like, "No, I hated that." Oh yeah, I hated that too. Great, thanks. We were just trying to get a reaction because we couldn't, we weren't getting a decision. But you guys just had to see it on the page and see whether it was something that you, an idea you liked or you didn't like. So wow, you know, that no, that's... that becomes part, that becomes part of it too. I mean, then there's a level of trust though because this, I've been with. This is my third working. This is my third Spider-Man movie. And then I worked with Marvel on Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I've helped out on, you know, other projects of theirs. And so, you know, um, yeah, but like this team right now, we've all worked together now for the, this is the third movie we worked on together. And, and you've had an So there's a lot of shorthand.
0: For, right. Yeah. You're not worried necessarily about, oh, if I turn in these pages and the reaction is bad, it's not the end times. It's just part of your guys' working process that is success so success. Yeah, <laughs> you hope. Way. I mean... I, I, you know, right. you
2: go. I, I went. I went from being a producer in television, where you get to go down and go to the director. No, 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 no. It's not supposed to be blocked like this. And no, no, no. That that we got to get this joke this way before he's got. Yeah, that's just a different. I mean, that's not how features work. <laughs> so you know, I you know, I'm not a producer on these. I'm a writer. I'm a hired gun, and and I think we have a lot of you know mutual respect and trust at this point. But it's just a different thing. You just. Sometimes, though, like, you hope, like, oh, that's not how, even in the last, like, pages I turned over, like, for, one of, you know, the current draft, I think some things weren't coming across, and, like, in a certain sequence, people were thinking that it was playing broad, and I'm like, no, I was actually going <laughs> the exact opposite. I wanted this to be sort of, like, scary and intense, and it just wasn't coming across that way, and people, I think people just sort of misread it. Um, so messy is a tough thing about a, a screenplay is oftentimes tone just, you know, it's, it's tricky to get tone across in any writing, but you know, with, with these sort of bare, bare bones blueprints, sometimes it is, I mean, it does really come down to dialogue and how people hear things.
0: You know, I think people don't always understand that when you're writing something of this size for this size audience with this many factors you end up making a lot of decisions based on the needs from these various sources from a Marvel, a Sony, a director, they all have different, you know, you want to be on the same page, right? But you're getting stuff that from everybody that's, that's different sometimes.
2: Yeah. But not only that, you'll, like, you find out like, we've been in a hole and they're like, Oh, don't bother the guys. Don't bother the guys. And then, you know, we you know, then we're not aware that there's like a, like, Oh, that giant sequence in two B. Is totally changed now, and we're doing this thing with it. And we're like, oh, okay, uh, you know, and you know, a lot of that is just because we're in writing mode right now. And oftentimes, they just want to go, particularly with everything that's been going on. And and you know, the, we've had to push, you know, production, and it's you know, it's been really, it's been you know, it's been difficult to get the ball all the way down the field, but we're getting there. Um, and there's just sometimes, you know, when these monstrous things are just gap in there, there's just information gaps
0: yeah no that's fascinating bob um when you are writing you're not dealing with that level of scrutiny and input but in some ways do you wish there like you know you're sending it to chris for notes or you're sending it to some trusted eyes or you're getting it to an actor but so you get the freedom for your voice and direction to go wherever you kind of want but does it almost like it's just such an opposite side of the spectrum. It's kind of fascinating. You're like, it would be nice to get all this directive. Like, that's what I think when I hear it. Wow, you really get clear directive on like what works, what doesn't, instead of just trusting your own instinct. But you're you're relying so much on your own. Wow, this is, am I right about this? I'm the only one in the room, you know?
1: Well, yeah, like Chris said, you're, you're trying to put a tone across. And uh, for me, it was just kind of being, it was uh, very solitary this last um, script and, and that's fine. I had worked with writers on the two movies previous and uh, I'm by nature looking for help when I'm writing and I don't want to be alone. And uh, this time I just sort of kind of said, okay, well, I'm just going to do this and I'm not going to ask for help uh, until I finish a draft. Um, but I have, I have great people uh, who read stuff that I do. I've had, um, you know, the Sundance Lab assigned to me a mentor in 2007, who I still have, uh, John Gatins, uh and Oh, that's ra- awesome. We write, a, re-
0: we we cover the labs a lot, and uh, yeah, that's, that's cool to hear that 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 relationship endures.
1: Yeah, 13 years in, and it was the writer strike that allowed him to kind of get into my life on a lab project in 2007, and um, he's helped me a ton. And I sent him the script, and he immediately had thoughts that were useful. Um, and same with Chris. Chris is a tough customer. And I, uh, if I'm going to send Chris a script, then I'm going to imagine him reading it. And that's going to help me, you know, um, you know, get the typos fixed and get everything uh, up and running before he gets eyes on it. Um, Chris, it
0: seems like you're extremely busy, but um, are there projects you really want to do? You know, you're in a world where you're writing a lot of these like, you know, extremely high level things, um, that have like heavy demands. Are there projects you wish you were doing or that you want to do in the future? Less of the hired gun variety, the way you described it. Uh,
2: yeah, my writing partner and I have a deal to write and direct something, um, with, uh, a studio. Um, and then we have some other things that we might be EPing. you know, um, supervising, uh, uh We want to do and, a uh, Charles, Charles Portis movie, right? Yeah, absolutely. I and I mean, we're such huge Charles Portis fans. Um I don't know uh I, f- I forget where the what the status of some of those rights are, but yeah, uh he, he definitely is uh one of my uh, favorite writers of all time.
0: Yeah, meaning like an, an adaptation of another of his works. He's the true grit writer for those who aren't familiar.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's the, Norwood Dog of the South, Masters of Atlantis.
0: Do you find that his that's a thing that I think about a lot with with prolific screenwriters? There's sometimes a novelist. There's a voice. Sometimes I was thinking about Quentin Tarantino, for example, having like such an Elmore Leonard voice Mm -hmm. that if you read read Elmore Leonard books, you suddenly think, "Oh wow, that's where so much of that tone comes from, or that's where that world is." Mm. Um, You know, Portis is an interesting one. Hearing from you, is that you know, is that a heavy influence on your voice? part of how you found it
2: well I remember because my my uh, I grew up becoming just being obsessed with uh, TV and TV comedy and uh, a breakthrough in my life was, was like when I was a early I was probably like 13 I stayed up late one night and I discovered this guy named David Letterman and I just became obsessed <laughs> to the point like it's just like I was like an idiot staying up till like two in the morning every night watching these and then having to be at school at seven and and so I had a comedic voice and then my baby brother and I really hit it off over comedy and, 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 and writing. And he, I remember like he was reading, he was just still like a teenager living at home and he was reading a Rolling Stone article, I think with Conan O'Brien, or maybe it was David Cross talking about, um, how like their favorite author, um, was Charles Portis. And a lot at that point, I think a lot of his, um, books were like discontinued. So like my little brother who didn't, I think probably didn't have a driver's license would go down to the San Diego library and like find Charles Portis books. And, and that's how I got into them and started reading. And I just like, I devoured like all of his books in the span of a couple of weeks. Cause then they were re-released. I, th- I forget. I think it was a guy from Salon. I'm blanking on his name. Um, Rosenblum or something who sort of like sort of rediscovered charles portis for everyone and then all the books came out and uh and sort of reprints and uh i just devoured them and he just spoke he because there's such humanity to him but also such a dim view of humanity like and th- the fact that he could write something like true grit which is just like maddie you know i mean she's just such a great character and has such a str- strong moral core and um and then you can watch like Dog of the South, where it's just like fool. It's just like these fools going, you know, going all the way down to like Central America. Um, it's just, uh, it just really makes me laugh. I mean, and then Gringos is, is a great book, which in a lot of ways I, might be his most filmable one. I don't know if you guys have ever read Gringos, but there's just lines in it that just make me crack up. It's about a bunch of, it's a bunch of, about a bunch of. Uh, just sort of expat Amer- americans living down in a in a small town in Mexico and there's a one of them's a bounty hunter and he it's just fantastic and it all sort of centers around like i think like y2 like around like the uh the end of the uh, around like basically 2000 2k y2k and it's just it's just great it's they're all just great
0: you you both have written comedy do you have it comedy is we don't get enough of it, in my opinion. And we're going to need a lot more, right? <laughs> Probably need a lot more right now, but
2: it's all going to be, it's all going to be musicals and guys <laughs> and like, and like, like supper clubs, people in tuxedos. It's going to be the great depression again, where people right, only want say,
0: escape. yes. When you look at the movies of the 1930s, you don't realize how different the actual 1930s were. Like they were the exact opposite from the movies of the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what when you're writing comedy though it's really hard i've done it um with you know not nearly the success of the two of you it's an extremely challenging thing i sometimes think that people shy away because it's hard what is your advice because i want more of like i want more people to try to do it and i want more good comedy out there but you know you've done it so effectively in places where it's so hard i mean how do you make lego batman funny like for kids and adults you know that's so that's such threading such a needle i gotta like tip my hat how do you what's your advice from both of you though because you're doing it in different ways
1: oh well, my advice would be to if you're a miserable person then <laughs> then write comedy um i don't i don't really know how else to say that and i'm not really trying to be funny i did have a call with a cinematographer yesterday and he was talking about how miserable my main character was. And I was like, what the fuck? I mean, I, I just wrote the guy. I didn't write him as miserable. I just wrote him, (laughs) you know, the way I saw the world, the way I saw him. And, and I think he comes off as, as pretty unhappy.
0: Um, I'm sorry to hear that, but it sounds like that's that's helpful. I mean, I, we've heard that that sort of overture before about comedy is that there's so much pain in it, you know. Yeah.
1: Nor am I saying Chris is unhappy. You know, Chris is writing superhero movies, so I don't know if you Chris, need to be unhappy to do that.
0: Chris, how do you hang on to your to your misery? To keep writing
2: comedy. <laughs> uh, two small kids uh, in a pandemic. <laughs> With writers uh, and uh, producer who uh, calls me all the time, and I'm uh, maybe don't drop this for a couple of weeks because if she finds out I'm doing a podcast, uh, I, I'm, I'm host. <laughs> <I'm>
0: <laughs> okay. Yes. But it, I, 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 can... I will
2: say I will say it's been a, it's been a really really try for everyone I know, and I can't even say I've gone through anything close to what so many people have gone through, but. It's been it's been really it's been obviously very hard for all of us and so that's why actually getting on something like this and actually having a conversation with someone who's not a five year old or an eight year old is is a little <laughs> kind of refreshing. I agree. Uh, where, same, where the same. Legos are? The Legos coming today?
0: It's funny. Sorry, um, I brought up Lego Batman.
2: <laughs> no, I love that. I love that movie, and and so much of that was the voice of Chris McKay, the director, who also wrote so much of that, but. Uh, uh, that was, that was so much fun. And I think so much of that tone, he had worked with, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller on the Lego movie is sort of their on-site director, I think like down in Australia. And, uh, anyway, his sensibility was so great. He's like, you know, he did some, I mean, it, that was, that was a lot of fun to work on. And then, yeah. And then, you know, it's just the sensibility. Cause I, I and, do it's, feel it's, like and, and you're, you know, you you're, that, you're you a writing for... kids movies. You can't be writing movies going, oh well, I want to just entertain kids. You have to be writing to entertain yourself, and I think all the best comedy, even the you know, in you know, it, 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 there's a you know, maybe it's not all for a wide spectrum, but if you're going to do a movie like Lego Batman or a Pixar movie, you're 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 swinging for you're swinging for a lot of people, and and you can and the kids, you, you don't have to dumb it down, you know, you don't have to be like, oh well, this is just a kids movie because, like, who I don't know, then I don't want to, I don't want.
0: I don't like that. You've swung for a lot of people and you've hit a bunch and it's kind of amazing. So I, you know, I, I think that that, like the advice coming from writing for yourself ultimately uh, is valuable, but you know, very few people have that, uh, can maintain the light touch across genre, across platform. So. uh,
2: Well, you look at, I mean, guys like the Coen brothers who obviously did a Charles Portis novel but, you, you know, you watch even, like, you know, uh, what is it, Burn After Reading, which, you know, is probably a little broader and – but feels like in a way of, like, oh, a bunch of – what a satire, a bunch of dipshits, um, you know, uh, that are, you know, like involved in, you know, like <laughs> – Right, the, yeah. The, the, the government. And, you know, and so but, – like, but they obviously, who, I think – Who knew it would they, come true, right? Exactly. <laughs> they – are able to absolutely walk that line where they can, I mean, you can, they do, they could do some really, you know, dark, closer to drama uh, movies, but there's always a sort of like a comedic uh, lightness, at least in parts of it, which I think really then, then, then then make it feel like it's, oh, this is a human comedy we're watching. I mean, Big Lebowski is just one, like, it's just the movie i probably watched more than any other movie in my life. And it's there's just such a joy in in the, the characters, the dialogue, the production design, what they're going for. I mean, that to me is just the kind of movie. If, like I, I watch and go. So if I'm giving advice to anyone, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to give advice except I guess watch the movies that you like. That the, just watch the movies that, that that you really enjoy, and don't try to maybe copy them, but. Find the things that you like about them, and I don't know, and then it helps you find your own voice, and and then I guess ultimately you have to just be uh, serving your own voice. I mean, look at Wes Anderson. I it was such a bright. Like I remember, I like, reading like a review of of Bottle Rocket and taking my best friend, going, uh eh, this sounds interesting. Let's go check this out." And both of us walking out, and it was just like a total revelation. And it was kind of unlike anything I had quite seen before, but had such a, but just a gentle comedic touch to it. And, uh, and obviously he had such love for those characters.
0: Yeah, I just thought Boogie Nights kind of fell into that too, same era. Just like comedy and drama, somehow a, a human humorous element weaved in there that, that kept it going, but that's, that's great advice. Uh, guys, I want to thank you both for doing this. Yeah.
2: Uh, Oh, absolutely. Uh, Thank thank you you for asking.
0: Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the No Film School podcast. Please rate, like, subscribe, comment. Let us know what you liked. Let us know what you didn't like. Let us know what you'd like to hear in the future. Hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed speaking to both of these guys. I can't wait to see their projects coming out, um, and I would like to, as long as we're on the subject of screenwriting, remind everybody to take a look at our totally free, over a hundred-page screenwriting ebook, "How to Write a Screenplay," during quarantine. But even as quarantine may be coming to an end for many, this is still extremely helpful. You will finish writing a screenplay in. 10 weeks if you follow this plan we've laid out. It's got tons of tools, steps, tricks, templates, forms, infographics, and examples. And it's from our very own Jason Hellerman. And we've talked about it on this podcast, but I'm really excited for people to take a look at it. Also, please check out the 5-Day Deal from the 5-Day Deal Foundation. We've partnered with them. This is a huge opportunity to get a ton of filmmaking assets, tools, tools, educational resources for an extremely discounted price and much of what you're giving in terms of payment goes to charity so it's a complete win uh please definitely take a look at that and uh jump on that opportunity while it exists i think there's only one day left actually when you're hearing this um so thanks everybody hope you're good Mm -hmm.